You know you are capable of more because you have a burning desire to get the absolute most out of life. To starve your fears, to follow your dreams, and to realize your true potential. And we are going to do that together. This is The Andy Stork Show. Let's go. Welcome to The Andy Storch Show. I'm your host, Andy Storch, and this is a show where we can come together to starve our fears, follow our dreams, and fulfill our true potential. And uh, you know, I'm always trying to help everybody around me up their game, fulfill their true potential, and I want to be a contributor to the solution to the success of society. I did an episode a couple weeks ago where I shared some of my thoughts on the Black Lives Matter movement, on equality, as well as a great interview with Thomas Igeme on how to become a better black ally. And I've reached out to other uh, black content creators and prominent people uh, to get some more interviews and share more black voices on my channels, including this podcast. And I have another interview to share with you today. Um, this one from a woman I connected with recently named Tali Lavery. And uh, Tali is, uh, first of all, she's a black woman. She's a diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI strategist uh, in the corporate world. So we run in similar circles. She's been on um, a mission to improve equality and inclusion in organizations for quite some time. And she's also been working on a book uh, called Confessions from Your Token Black Colleague, uh, which I thought was a great and clever title, got my attention, and I was eager to interview her on this. Um, the book is coming out in August, and uh, we did an interview live on LinkedIn recently where I asked her some questions about the book, some uh, some stories of you know things that she's experienced or things she sees that are problems in society that contribute to systemic racism or things that hold um, black people or people of color back in corporate America or the working world. And the reason I'm sharing this is not just to say, hey, look at me, you know, I'm interviewing black people, um, because I do want to increase the diversity of my guests uh, and contribute to the solution, like I said. But I know that my network and following is predominantly white, like me, and many of us live, uh, you know, frankly, a privileged life. And I don't think we need to feel guilty about that. But I think if we want to be part of the solution, we need to open our eyes and ears and listen to different stories and perspectives and hear how other people have lived and, you know, find out what's really going on out there so that we can stand up for what's right, so that we can tell people when we see wrong things going on, when we see racism, blatant racism, or even, um, uh, you know, racism that's not as blatant, right? Um, we can say something. We can see something and say something. We can stand up for it and we can be part of the solution. So that's why I want to share this interview with you today. Um, some of it is more about what's going on in the corporate world and you may be an entrepreneur and maybe not as connected to that, but I think hopefully it will uh, increase your awareness and be interesting for you. I'd love to hear your thoughts, feedback on stuff like this. And um, yeah, let me know what you think. Uh, now enjoy my interview with Tali Lavery whose book is called uh, Confessions from Your Token Black Colleague, which will be out on August 21st. Enjoy. Okay, I am live with Tali Lavery, who is a DEI strategist and author of the upcoming book, Confessions from Your Token Black Colleague. And I am so excited to dig into that. Tali, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello. Yeah, I am so excited to be digging into this. This is a timely subject. Obviously, um, there's been a lot of stuff on the news over the last couple of months about the Black Lives Matter movement after the death of George Floyd. 
and um, many other, um, we'll say, wrongs going on out there in the world that we're trying to make right. And uh, this is not something that you're jumping on to try to jump on the latest trend. You've been working in DEI for a while. You've been working on this book for a while. Um, how did you get into all of this in the first place? Yeah, it's funny. Um, it, it, it actually wasn't a while, but it was not that I just decided to write a book because of Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Um, oddly enough, I left corporate America in November of last year. And I thought to myself, um, I had struggled in it. I worked in the events industry, which a lot of black women, you don't find a lot of black women in the industry. It's a bit of a coveted industry too, because if you work on a certain level, you're typically in fancy hotels or you're working with celebrities, you're eating nice food, you're getting you know, good transportation, you're traveling and all of these things. So it's sort of a coveted role. And um, a lot of times friends pull their friends into the jobs. So I would find myself in the jobs dealing with not only some racism, a lot of microaggressions and things like that, um, there was nepotism that I was up against. And so I struggled a lot uh, in corporate. And so when I left, I was at my wits end and I thought to myself, people need to understand. I have so much to say. I have, it's just so unfair. <laughs> and I think that there should be um, someone to help these companies to, to do and be better. So I just, um, started thinking and it was a result of a really low point in my life you know um they say that the lowest points can you know produce some some of the best life results and so um i, I always call it the the basement of my rock bottom um i was at my lowest lowest point and i just started writing and i ended up coming up with the concept of um the type of uh dei training and tools that i wanted to offer and in addition to that, I wanted to tell my stories. I would tell people some of the things I go through and they're like, this is like a movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I have these stories that I, and so I started pinning them. Um, and I just said to myself, you know, I'm gonna just get out there and tell my story because I know that I'm not the only person that's going through this. And so I wanna be a voice for people that are going through that. And I, I realized that when I take myself out of corporate working as the employee or the token black employee, which is what I always ended up being mm -hmm. and position myself as a strategist, a consultant, then I have the right people listening to me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the right people are open to hearing what it is that I have to say. And so I'm just really operating and doing the work that I feel like I was called to do. And it just comes natural. And um, it's been quickly successful. It was quickly successful even before the Black Lives Matter movement. And um, in March, when the when COVID hit, I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to stop writing the book. I'm going to just let the business go. I've you know, invested all this money and time. What a waste. Yeah. Nobody's going to care about this stuff. It's all about the virus. Right. And I a couple of weeks to just kind of cry like i already been to the basement why am i we here all <laughs> and then something said get up keep writing keep going huh. and i did and i tell you within days my phone just started ringing off the hook so it's been um quite interesting quite yeah. interesting to say the least i mean things have changed a lot uh you know i work in yeah, kind of talent development, learning and development in the corporate world and uh, adjacent to DEI. And I have a lot of those discussions. I'm having more and more uh, over the last few months or, or year um, as I want to be part more part of that solution and help in that way. And I'm seeing how organizations have been changing, um, but a lot still we're not uh, really talking about it. So 
you said, you know, the work you're doing, you love the work that you're doing and you're, you're talking to people who are listening. Have you seen a big shift in not only the people that are caring about this or the demand for the type of work that DEI work in organizations? Well, obviously the demand is there. Um, people care about it for their own reasons. Some are, I feel like a lot of white people, it's funny. Yeah. I feel like a lot of white people were kind of like awakened by this, this, this George Floyd thing. It's like, oh. you know, we were awakened. Like we knew it was a thing, yeah. we knew it was, but we almost had become kind of desensitized to it ourselves. Right. And, you know, we had been screaming it from the rooftop, Black Lives Matter, you know, came about a couple years ago and nobody cared. People kind of blew them yeah. off. Right? Down here in Central Florida when Trayvon Martin was uh, was murdered a couple years ago. They, they just never got the traction that it deserved. It was just kind of like, oh, well, they shouldn't have ignored the police, all the things. And right. so then you have this George Floyd matter happen. It's so agreeable in your face. There's no ignoring it. And it's crazy, too, because just before that, we had, uh, was it Amy Cooper? that mm -hmm. just showed us blatantly how the white woman can use her privilege to weaponize yeah. our race. And so we were already- just got charged with ne which never would have happened. In <laughs> right. So we had already started to kind of feel it. And then there was something else. It, just, it was just a number of things that kind of happened. And so, um, and obviously they say with people being stuck in the house and frustrated with COVID, uh, it was just a, a recipe for for people to wake up. And a lot of white people I've heard or seen are kind of like, wow, like what else have I not seen or noticed or ignored right. or let go, you know, because I'm oblivious and I, I just didn't know it. And it's this big, a lot of guilt, a lot of uh, them trying to play yeah. catch up. <laughs> um, yeah. A lot of, and on a negative point, I'm gonna be honest, I'm, I'm gonna talk about this because I don't know if white people are listening. If you're doing this, I want you to be cognizant. I feel like when the movement was out there and everybody was really talking, I got yeah. a lot of white girls saying, I want to help you do this and I want to help you do that. And I want to uh -huh. be an ally. And I feel like that trend has kind of died now and uh -huh. some people are busy and it's like, oh, I said I was going to do what? And yeah. um, so that, <laughs> Not the next thing. that's what you don't want to do. Right. <laughs> um, right. But with that said, I do think that obviously um, I feel like the ground is fertile now for people to listen. Yeah. Um, another problem that I see, and I've, I saw it before the Black Lives Matter movement, companies are so big on doing that training, getting that workshop and getting it checked off on a list. Right. And I'm yeah. telling you, it's not going to work. Mm. Um, they have to really, really, really be dedicated to making this a part of their business structure a part of how they do things everything that they do they need to find a way to incorporate it they need to work with companies that are um working towards sustainability and that's what i'm huge on because i think that a lot of people feel like they need to go and get all these diverse hires you know let's get a diverse hire let's let's bring right. in that was a story that happened to me but the problem is is that when you're bringing these diverse hires in uh the environment is not sustainable for mm -hmm. for them it's not something that we can survive in and there's some very egregious acts that are taking place at work yeah. and companies have to start admitting that and you know you know they have to start admitting it so i'm here to tell them that that's the case i love it i love it and i love how just you're you're just brash about the whole thing you know i see white people doing this and that um i take no offense i think it's great i think we need to have this conversation um and what you're talking about at the end there is the importance of, you know, you're a DEI strategist. 
I've studied this a lot, the equity and the inclusion part, because so many companies had jumped on the diversity bandwagon. Well, let's get some more people of color in the room without thinking about the fact that if you get people in the, in the company or in the room, but they're not treated with respect or they don't feel comfortable speaking up or they're marginalized, then that's not helping you. It's not creating any more innovation. It's not helping the company. Uh, it, it almost makes things worse off. They're going to leave. They're going to cost you a bunch of money. Uh, and I know that you've been on this, on board with this for a long time. A lot of people don't understand this. And I hear people talk about diversity, 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 but diversity without inclusion doesn't do anything, right? Does nothing. And, it, and, and it's not only the marginalized person that's uncomfortable, it's your employees that were first there that are uncomfortable. And that's why they're making the marginalized person mm. uncomfortable. It's just always the discomfort that I brought into the room is what made me uncomfortable. You know, I'm constantly feeling bad because I've I've made these people feel uncomfortable and there was never any um, expectation of them to do anything to make it to make it right. And it, and it gets tricky because the person could think, well, what do you want me to do? Like, what do you what do you want? We're doing our jobs. Um, yeah. it's, it's it takes it takes work. It takes strategy. It takes a plan. It takes communication. It takes someone that's like you said, that can just talk about it and um, make you comfortable talking about it. Yeah. Um, and so it, it takes that. And a lot of times your HR people aren't the people to do that. The managers aren't the people to do that. Yes, they are a part of the plan, but you need to bring in somebody um, that's third party, non-biased, that can really just give you the facts without all of the feelings and um, to help you make it a more sustainable. And it's just better. It's just better. Homogeneous um, environments and companies are growing a lot faster than, you know, just the straight white male. Um, yeah. We're, yeah. Our world is evolving beyond that. And so um, it's smart to, to diversify and to retain. That's my that's where I'm at. I'm all about teaching you to retain yeah. your talent. I like it. OK, so I want to get back to the book, um, because I think what the important thing is here. What I see as um, being one of those white people who is like, yeah, I have always been a for equality and love and inclusion and a friend of everybody, um, but not necessarily part of the solution because not seeing the things that are going on, not aware of things going on because I haven't been subject to it myself, right? I've got this white privilege. Um, I haven't exactly lived a charmed life, but I haven't faced probably a lot of things that you have faced in the workplace. And I think one of the most important things is for people to just hear what is going on out there and get that different perspective, right? And have those conversations. So I love that your book is the stories, the confessions from your token black colleagues. So I, I'm really curious, you mentioned that and you, you've, you've wowed some of your friends with these stories. I wanna hear a, a couple of the things, like give me a couple examples, like what has happened to you as a black woman in the corporate world um, yeah. that is probably not something that I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of it is very um, passive, uh, <clears throat> and it's things that you can't just kind of put your your finger on. But I've also had the egregious things. Um, mm. One of the most egregious things was I was working for a company. I did events, and we were doing a graduation after party. And the woman, one of the planners, older white woman was talking about bringing her husband and I was fairly new. And so I said, oh, OK, um, is it OK if I bring a guest? Not that I want to bring one, just want to know the rules. Mm -hmm. And she said, oh, yeah, sure. As long as he doesn't have uh, braids in his hair and gold teeth in his mouth. Um, and it's just kind of like, oh, okay. wow. OK. <laughs> um, I've also had a guy. Um, so a lot of events when you work 
for an event company, um, they have clients. And so typically they will match a event planner with a client. And so I remember being fairly new and white guy, sales guy, well, we were having lunch, lunch meeting, another person was present and he just went on and on and was laughing about how the previous owners would only hire uh, blonde girls with blue eyes and big boobs and how it made his job so easy. And I was like, oh, sorry, huh. to, sorry to inconvenience you. Yeah. Whoops. <laughs> like things have changed yeah it just i mean and you know what it's funny i could not even include all the stories i was working with my editor she's like you can't put all the stories there'll be times to you know tell the stories in the future but i've got so many stories and for so long i'm like why do i keep going through this um and i think i see why now so yeah absolutely what are some of the you said earlier that you know there's been a couple of the egregious things like the comments about the braids and the gold teeth and stuff which is you know, I think most people listening would cringe and be like, oh, I would never say something like that. But I know there's a lot of subtle things that are happening all the time that people don't even realize they're doing. I actually heard a, oh man, I forgot the word for it the other day. Um, I watched the interview, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. So microaggression. Yeah. Microaggressions or, um, geez, you know, the, uh, have you seen that, that series on YouTube? Is it conversations with a black man? Um, I forget the guy's name, but they were talking about it. anyway. So what uh, what are a couple of things that people you you've seen, you've heard that you think people are doing that it's like you're probably not even thinking about this, but it's it's impacting people in a in a negative way. Yeah. So you're thinking about it, but it's subconscious and yeah. uncomfortable. Here's the thing. You're doing and saying these things because you're uncomfortable. You're trying to say and do what's right. Yeah. It's at the top of your mind that there's a black girl in the office now, and which is different. Yeah. So, so, so the manager says things like, "Oh my God, I remember this black lady showed up, and she was just tall and beautiful." And I mean, oh, you know, sometimes black women. I mean, just gorgeous, just kind of over. Mm-hmm this idea that you like black women kind of things like that or um things like just assuming that i don't know what i'm doing and just being Mm. quite condescending in 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 your approach or assuming that i listen to a certain kind of music or i know who you know i remember somebody was having a conversation very inappropriate about a rapper and how he was um using the race card and it was just totally inappropriate and i'm sure you know that rapper right and i'm like actually i don't know um you know so just things like that um and then it gets even more it comes down to not giving us the benefit of the of the doubt if andy said that you were rude or Whatever Andy said, that's what happened. You know, there's no, and, and you know, you if you're not careful, you can think, oh, okay, well, there's a misunderstanding here. Let's explain. Let me explain my side. But no, they just, they just go into, and I call that, um, what is it called? White, oh gosh, solidarity. Mm. <laughs> white solidarity. You know, yeah. it, when you, when a white person in the office talks about a discomfort or a conflict or, something went wrong with the black girl yeah that white solidarity kicks in and Mm. it's like automatic it's almost an unspoken 
I can imagine that's so uncomfortable for you. If you say that she was being harsh, I can imagine oh, scares me too. So mm. you know what? Maybe Tally, you should learn how to fix your tone. Wasn't even there. You don't even mm. know. <laughs> but it's like, you know, we don't get the benefit of the doubt. White solidarity yeah. is real. Yeah. So it's all that it's all that stuff. And then because the white solidarity is so real. Um, they get, oh, another one. Let's just say the white solidarity is real. And this has happened too. There's this one or white person that's like, you know what? I saw it. It was wrong. Clear as day. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times the other white people will tell that white person, no, you're not going to defend her or no, we don't care. Oh, really? oh my gosh. So like, when they go to, they say, I saw this, I'm going to stand up for you. Then they, other white people are saying, don't, don't, don't say do it. And a big part of why that is, is because if these white people are going to admit that there is an issue that yeah. means that they got to do something to fix it and it's much easier yep. to, to tell tally that she needs to work on a soft skill or maybe she misheard something or that oh my gosh this person is so great they're normal they're normally so wonderful mm -hmm. i got to the point i don't even attempt to try to i mean i had something happen recently <laughs> with someone yeah. even in my in my um uh, entrepreneurial world where somebody referred somebody and it just wasn't great and she kind of did the same thing you know well and i just i just let them you know i just it doesn't even matter honestly yeah. i have to create it, it's sad that it takes something like george floyd something so intense to make you stop and listen and and mm -hmm. hear so yeah. it, you know i can tell when white solidarity has kicked in and it, no matter what i say or how i explain it so i typically just let them say it and try to move on it's sad but it's true <laughs> yeah and, and and a lot of it is right it, it's cultural it's been around for a long time it takes a while for people to change it's also systemic as well i know you talk about the the issues with the the systemic racism that's in place um for people that maybe not as familiar with that you know are thinking oh it's just about people we just change some people's minds um what does that mean systemic racism and why is that such a big challenge for us to overcome or big issue we have to realize that systemic, it, it hits us in so many areas, so many different directions. It is just a lot piled on top of each other, especially for black women. We have what's called intersectionality because not only am I dealing with the race issues, I'm dealing with the uh, wage issues. And so yeah, we, and right. because you're dealing with the two, it's easy to ignore both. And so we're just out here like, my gosh <laughs> um but you know to understand that it's systemic you have to understand that a lot of this is a domino effect you know um i upset a vendor that's i'm doing the purchasing from mm -hmm. if that vendor decides to tell anybody something negative about me it will trickle up as a negative story all the way to the ceo and if hmm. there's nothing in place nobody that's like wait let's hear the facts then i'm and i'll tell you 99 percent of the time probably 99.9 percent .9 the facts have never mattered it can be on camera there can be an audio there can be huh. witnesses the facts have never mattered um unless somehow some third party was brought in and then, but otherwise corporations have struggled in my, in my case to yeah. ever even want to hear the facts. And I think again, it, it, because what happens is when this right fragility kicks in and everybody's talking their big, I'm the boss talk, it's kind of, 
it would take a big person to step back and say, wait, let's look at this, right? And then yeah. once you're all you wrong. It's like, which one of you is going to admit that, you know, all four of us are kind of wrong here. Here it is in writing. So they people have just just ignore it. Find a way to, to, to let it go. Yeah. And to be honest with you, not only does it hurt us, you know, as far as a career path, it just hurts emotionally. It's very taxing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very, very taxing. I, it's, it's amazing that, and I totally get it. I've studied this a lot. The, the ego gets in the way. Fear gets in the way. Admitting you're wrong could be... Um, a, you know, could cause problems for you, or you you think that's going to be the case. Um, but at the same time, it blows my mind that people are not willing to just say, "Oh, I was wrong. Let's change my." I mean, I wouldn't be married today still if I wasn't able to admit that I was wrong. Uh, sometimes, but we're the minority. We are the minority. Why right. it's so easy to just get rid of me and keep yeah. things? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. I have a question. Um, you mentioned white fragility. That's obviously the title of a really popular book right now. You and I were just chatting about it before we started recording. Um, but I haven't read it yet. What, is, what does that mean? No, I mentioned white solidarity. Oh, white solidarity. That, okay. Yeah, yeah. That when the minority says or does anything, it's like automatic. We're together. I feel yeah. you. I care. Um, the white fragility, I've done, I've studied quite a bit of it. Um, I think that she's her uh, approach is to get white people to wake up. The thing that George Floyd did, she wants to get white people to wake up and she's giving scenarios and incidents and she's talking white woman to white woman, white woman to white man mm. about um, the systemic racism, how it is systemic, reminding you of how it started when you were a child and how you are oblivious and you don't even get it. And so starting to open um, someone's mind to to see and approach these things differently. Cool. So. I want to ask you a couple things about you know what we can do. And uh, for anybody who's watching live, if you have any questions, feel free to drop them in the chat. Um, but Tally, for those of us who are awakened by all of this, right, and are hanging on for the movement, not just the first couple weeks of marches, but Beyond that, I'm glad that you and I are actually talking a little bit later so we can still like continue to spur the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, what advice do you have? What can I do as a white man who is, you know, sort of working in the corporate world as a, a consultant entrepreneur? But what in, but broadly, what can people do to help be part of the solution and help, you know, make this better, make the world a better place? It's systemic, it's deep rooted and it's not, and it's a long game. So just mm -hmm. remember that you gotta be in it for the long game. Make it something that you're wanting to do for a lifetime. Um, there's so many resources. Anything that we wanna learn or understand, we can do that. I'm sure a lot of you have already heard, uh, you know, stop pulling on your black friends or black colleagues and asking them for the information because it becomes, you know, draining. I yeah. personally do it for work. So yeah. <laughs> you, know, you I have can, it all at hand. It's ready yeah, to go. I spit it all out. But, um, yeah. you know, you, you go and you read books and you watch the shows and you talk amongst yourselves, you know, hold yeah. each other accountable. Right. Um, uh, if you do have black friends, I think that you should be able to talk candidly and openly with them yeah. about about things. Um, one thing for sure that I think that has always been an issue is that with white people is that there's this guard or you just become instantly defensive, especially when there's words like racism thrown around. Right. Right. So I think that there should be this um, commitment to yourself that you're going to kind of lay down 
the defenses. And I can imagine that it's, it's tough. I remember teaching, a, 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 I did a, a virtual workshop the day after the riots were like crazy. And mm. um, <laughs> so I come in, I teach, <clears throat> and I'm teaching all these white people about how they need to start, you know, standing <laughs> up for their marginalized people when they see them yeah. voting. And we all had to stop and take a deep breath because even I felt the anxiety, you know, right. for them. Yeah. You don't think about that. It's not right. um, like, easy, what do we do? right? Yeah. But I think that if you make it more of the norm yeah. amongst ourselves, even when nobody's watching, we all have, mm. so, so black people, we call it kitchen table talk. We all have this talk that we have amongst ourselves. Mm. I think that white people need to challenge their their friends, their friend groups and their family to yeah. literally stop it even amongst themselves. Even myself as a black woman, there's things, we all have these weird things going on that add to the systemic yeah. racism. And I talk about yeah. that in the book as well, okay. us included. And right. so even at my own kitchen table, I'm challenging myself and my friends, and we just have to start to change the narrative. You know, one yeah. day at a time, uh, we learn and we do better, we make apologies um, and we move forward. And that's, that's all that you can do. Yeah, it sounds like education is really important. Um, I had a conversation um, a couple weeks ago with a gentleman named Thomas Agime, who uh, wrote a great article on LinkedIn, and I interviewed him about this subject as well. And uh, one of the things we talked about that I think was really important was uh, for white people reaching out to black people in their network. For instance, when all this went down, I reached out to several of my black friends and said, hey, can we have a conversation? It was incredibly awkward in the, in the, in the moment, right? To be like, Hey, I haven't talked to you in a few years, but since you're black, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm texting you now to see if you'll get on the phone with me and we can catch up. And I'm, I'm so grateful that I, I did that and we had, and I had so many great conversations. Um, but it is so awkward at the moment. It's important, I think, to have those conversations. But one of the things we talked about was, don't put the onus on them and come and say, "Hey, come educate me on you know this movement." There's plenty of information out there to educate yourself, right? It, it's like. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of an example, but if you if you get any a chance to interview any type of expert on something, um, maybe that's not the right word. But do your homework before you come in and start asking the most basic questions, because then it's you're putting so much effort on them, or you're you're wasting that time. Um, so I focused with those conversations on personal experiences. What have you personally experienced? Uh, and it was very interesting to hear all the different perspectives. Yeah. Are you asking me? A, I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, I was just wondering if you any more comments on that i mean i know you 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 generally agree but the approach of having these conversations because we obviously need to have them and i think we also need to address the elephant in the room right that like hey you're black i'm white let's talk about this right yeah yeah and it's funny how many white people are so uncomfortable with that and i'm learning yeah. that black people are too i had never have been so I, you know at all i don't know it, i just i don't know I, like you're like oh you're so fresh i just talk about it you are white mm -hmm. i am <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I think that in time we will become more and more comfortable. And I think that again, I think that the Black Lives Matter movement it opened us up in more ways than one. Because again, I was writing the book before the Black Lives Matter movement, and yeah. I'm telling you, the day after when I started writing again, the tone of my writing changed. I wasn't able to recognize that I was still carrying myself like a broken black while writing my book. I was being careful. I was tiptoeing around things. I was trying to say it in a way that the white people might accept it. And um, 
it's been refreshing to be able to kind of like open this door for me to be a little bit more candid and a little bit more open. Not nasty, not mean, right. not angry right. black girl, none of that. Just straight up. But you don't need to be apologetic about your experience because exactly. it is your experience, right? It's a big part of all of it for me, right? I think I tell tell people I've suffered from some PTSD from the things I've gone through right. at work. And you know, the amount of gaslighting that you go through when somebody's telling you that they did something or said something, you're like, that's not what happened. But then they have the white solidarity where people are validating their lies. It can be taxing on your brain. So um, yeah, it's been refreshing to have this door open and this uh, moment to come out and just really share and to know that people are actually attempting to listen. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think it's great. I mean, I, I think minds are open. It seems like the changes are still happening. Um, we're getting more information out there. I'm glad that we're getting your book out there. Uh, now, when are when is the book uh, planned to be published? I think you said August. Yeah, so the book will come out on August the twenty first. Um, yeah, we're working on some pre sales. I don't want to commit to that date just yet, but I know that for sure the book will be out on August twenty first. Yeah, right. oh, that's fantastic. Um, I told you before we started recording. I'm working on my first book right now, probably publishing in more like September October. So I'll be right behind you and um, looking to to learn from you and in what you did through all this. Um, as we go to wrap up here, Tali, um, you know, maybe just thinking ab about how things are changing and we want to make sure that this is more of a movement than a moment and we're keeping things going. Uh, any more advice or anything else you wanted to make sure that we, we discuss or information you want to get out there before, before we go? Um, companies, you have to think long game. Um, look into the benefits of doing it. It's worth it. It's worth it. It, it just, it's worth it. It makes it, it's better for your clients. It's better for those that you are hiring. Uh, it decreases your turnover. Um, and if you want to be an inclusive company and you mm -hmm. want to create a sustainable environment, then you've got to put in the time and the work to do that. And to be honest with you, you're going to end up having to cut away the fat meat. There are going to be some people that are not going to be in agreement. They are, they don't want to hear it. They don't care. They don't, they just, they're going to be defensive and you have to be ready to hold people accountable and you have to let them know that this is, this is the, the culture that we're creating and also about culture. And I talk about this in the book too. Um, Culture can be scary and tricky and you don't ever want to get to a place where a culture has been created by the white people in your company because what happens is this is a culture that a someone, a minority is unfamiliar with and then they are criticized for not fitting into that culture. So you want to create an environment where the culture is ever evolving. It's evolving around who you bring into the mix. And so um, it takes a plan and dedication to do that um, and accountability. So that's that's what I have to say. And we do that at my company. So that's yeah, nice. I love it. Uh, and it, it speaks to a movement that I already saw happening uh, many months or sometime last year before this uh, of companies moving to culture addition versus culture fit, right? For yes. a long time they talked about, oh, culture fit. That's what right. Culture fit mean? you know, we're all white and went to the same school or whatever, which is what happened for a long time, right? Because people hire people like them. That's it's just it. natural, right? Um, we're it. seeing an awakening around that and yep. uh, the culture addition. Hey, you don't look like us and I know you would add a lot of value to this culture. And yes. so we want to bring you in because it's going to make things better. It's going to increase um, innovation 
and uh, interaction and all kinds of things. It's going to make things better for us. But it takes that risk in the beginning to and And be patient because when you start to bring those things in, you won't arrive at answers or results as fast. You know, Mm -hmm. when it's all the people from the one culture, you get faster results. But if you mix it up, it'll take a little longer, but the results are better. And that's been proven. Yes. Takes a little bit of hard work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll get through it. All right, Tally, for anybody listening who wants to get in touch with you uh, or find out about the book, where's the best place for them to go to do that? Head over to yourtokenblackcolleague.com. You can sign up for the mailing list or you can follow me on social media and talk to me there. I love that website, yourtokenblackcolleague.com. You're going to get some people's <laughs> attention with that. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, Tally, thanks for joining me on the show. I really appreciate it. And I hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me, Andy. Bye-bye.